a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Thank you very much indeed. It's superb to be here in Derby. I love city centre churches. It's brilliant to rock up into this amazing building. Isn't it a cool venue? Uh, very exciting. It's uh, very contemporary, uh, very modern, very uh, accessible. It's very easy to get to from the outside. The parking's superb, the venue's great, and there's lots of chairs for us to fill, isn't there? And uh, we could have multiple meetings here. We could see this fill time and time again. God's very much with you. It's very exciting. So I want to say, first of all, thank you for receiving us. Thank you for allowing us to be with you and to join in your celebration of Jesus, which is brilliant. Uh, thank you also for, and this is where I might get stoned this morning, I was a bit worried how Graham was going to introduce me, but thank you for helping us in Manchester by releasing Matt Chernick to us. I thought I'd better get that out of the way, because I know that some of you are going, yeah, you're the guy who took Matt Chernick, aren't you? In, in my defence, I've known Matt literally since he was that high. Um, his parents uh, and his family grew up in the same church as us in Hastings, so I've known Matt uh, for many, many years, and uh, it's a real privilege and pleasure for us to be working again. He sends his love, uh, sends his greetings to you. He's doing magnificently well leading uh, in our worship and helping us in leadership. He's doing a great job. So I want to say thank you because this is all part of us being together in New Frontiers as we resource one another. And please feel free to come and pitch any of our guys at any time. I also want to say thank you to you for more and more releasing Graham to wider ministries and wider responsibilities. I believe that God's raised Graham up, not just for the city here, not just for Derby, although that's wonderful. We want to celebrate what God's doing here in Jubilee and the great church that you're building together with John and the other leaders. But I do believe Graham's got a wider ministry. God's calling Graham to uh, express the kingdom of God and his leadership style in wider settings. So be prepared over the next few months and years uh, to release him more and more to what God wants him to do in a wider setting. His giftings, his particular leadership style, particularly his ability to implement things and bring things through. Uh, he serves our wider movement uh, in New Frontiers already, but I believe more and more God wants to release him to do that. So are you ready for that? Because yeah. the Bible says, as you give, what happens? You receive, actually. So we want to be giving churches. We want to be churches that are those who give away of ourselves and then we receive much more. So I'm believing that Graham's going to, with you, is going to see a fantastic church built here in the city, a church of many hundreds, uh, pressing towards the thousand, really impacting and influencing the city. It's a great place to be, Derby, isn't it? And a great city centre church. So well done, guys, for all that you've done so far. It's fabulous to be here. If you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to Isaiah and chapter 61. Quite a famous passage, a passage that I've lived with for many years, a passage that's really been on my heart and has lived with me, stirred with me. You, some of you may have even heard me speak on this before or reference this before in other words that I've brought. Uh, but I feel again this week as I was preparing, God led me back to this for you. I, I was in Northern Ireland and God spoke to me about you in Northern Ireland this week. And uh, this is the verses that I feel uh, he laid on my heart. And I was going to speak on something else. And uh, at the end, you might think, I wish you'd spoken on that other thing. But uh, this is what I feel God has called 
us to do. And I'll reference this in a moment. But just to say that uh, when you name churches, it's really important that we're not just naming churches because it's a nice name or a trendy name. But when you name a church, something of that character in the prophetic is displayed in the church. So we've named our church Christ Central. Uh, People thought that sounds more like a railway station. Uh, And in fact, interesting enough, since we've named our church Christ Central, we meet in the railway arches of the old railway line that used to go right into the heart of Manchester. And it ends up in this magnificent Victorian domed building, which was used to be for many years called the GMEX Centre and uh, had the pleasure of hosting all the party conferences, the Labour Party conference this year where Miliband was crowned king. That was there. The Tory party conference uh, last year was there before the election. And uh, lots of uh, interesting things happened there. But they've just renamed that massive domed uh, thing that we kind of go into in our railway arch. They've just named it Manchester Central. So we're Christ Central in the railway arches of Manchester Central. And what we feel is we're bringing, bringing Christ into the centre of the city. We're bringing an expression of who Jesus is right into the city centre, right into the government, right into the politics, right into the local authority, right into the culture, right into the, the whole scene of what Manchester is. So it's good to know why you're named. And I don't know if you know why you're named Jubilee. It might just be that you think that's a trendy name. It's a good name. You might just think it reflects celebration, doesn't it? If you say to the person in the street, what does Jubilee mean? They probably think it means celebration. They might even think it means like the Queen's Golden Jubilee or Silver Jubilee. or It's kind of longevity. You know, we've been here for some time. We have this big party. We have this big celebration. I don't know if you know, biblically, the year of Jubilee, that's, I guess, what you're named after. The year of Jubilee was celebrated every 50 years. And it was a time when everything changes. A little bit like our day, the Jews would often get themselves into some financial problems, some financial difficulties. The austerity that we're facing right now, or the credit crunch, I guess, that we've been facing over the last few years, they would have that in their society. And unlike us, they couldn't go and borrow money on plastic or borrow money in the same way that we can, which is probably a good thing because some have got into trouble doing that. But what they would do is sell off things. They would start perhaps with the family silver or the family jewels or the family possessions. They might start to sell off the family inheritance so that they would be able to live. Then when they ran that out, they might sell off some family land. They might sell off the family farm or even the family house to another landowner. And once that was sold off, they would then start to work through the children (laughs) and granny. And uh, anyone, really, would be sold into slavery or sold into business or sold. And that's what would happen in their life. That's how they would cope with poverty and difficulties. And then, every 50 years, on the 50th year, the priest would blow a silver trumpet in Jerusalem and he would announce the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, everything reverted back. Every slave got free. Every bit of inheritance got given back to you. Every bit of land was restored. Every one that you'd sold was given back to you. It was a wonderful celebration of freedom and liberty and just an amazing sense of what good. That's why your name, Jubilee. 
Because that's what you're bringing into the city. You're bringing freedom. You're bringing those which are now in captivity. You're bringing them back into a sense of life. Those who've lost their inheritance, those who've lost their way, those who feel they've sold everything, actually they're getting it all back because Jesus comes to fulfill the year of Jubilee. Now theologically, there are a couple of passages in the Bible which best describe the year of Jubilee. And most theologians would agree that Isaiah 61 is the best description of what should happen on the year of Jubilee, or, or as it's sometimes called, the year of the Lord's favour. It's the same thing. Some, most theologians agree that Isaiah 61 is the best explanation of the year of Jubilee. In fact, when Jesus wanted to launch his mission, after Jesus was baptised in water, after Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went away, didn't he, into the desert for 40 days, prayer and fasting and temptation. And after that, he comes out and he preaches his first sermon in Nazareth where he grew up. Local boy makes good. He preaches his first sermon and it says he found the place in Isaiah where it was written and he read this passage. And he said, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. In other words, I've come to usher in. I've come to bring in the year of Jubilee. It got Jesus into a lot of trouble. They tried to stone him at the end of that sermon. I'm hoping for a little better reception from you guys this morning as I preach what is Jesus' manifesto, what I believe is your manifesto, what I believe prophetically is who you are to be in the city. So let's read it. It's Isaiah chapter 61. It's headed up the year of the Lord's favour in the NIV, which I'm reading from this morning, that means the Jubilee year. This should be your song. This should be, I don't know if you have a song. Couples have songs sometimes or individually playing my song. This is your song this morning, the year of Jubilee. Let's read it, Isaiah 61. I'm just going to read the first four verses. Remember, Jesus spoke exactly these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour or the jubilee year. The day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew Ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Lord Jesus, we honour you so much. We thank you for the prophetic word over us today that you reign, that you rule, that you are the king. And we submit, Lord Jesus, to you. We're not interested in a man's opinion. We're not interested in a few blessed thoughts. We're interested in the word of God. We're interested in you speaking today. Father in heaven, we ask you by your spirit, you would speak to us through the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to bring to you three things from this passage that I feel God stirred me this week. The sort of churches that I want to see in the north of the UK, and it's great to know that you're in the north, uh, kind of north of the Midlands. It's kind of, that, there was a, a Times newspaper report fairly recently, which I've got pinned to my wall, and it says the north-south divide is getting lower. <laughs> down the, the north is pulling down the country. I go, yep, it sure is. It's great to be working with northern churches and churches in the Midlands. It's great to be working into uh, the other nations of the United Kingdom. We tend to be very English-centric, and uh, it's my great delight to be working now into Wales, North Wales, into Northern Ireland, which everything with North in, really, isn't it? North Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, Scotland, and uh, we're also working into Canada. Got uh, three churches plus a couple of plants into Canada, which I keep reminding them is North. America, and uh, it's all to do with North. We've also got some uh, contacts now into Scandinavia, believing God's going to give us an inheritance there together. But I love churches working together, and I love the flavor that that brings in terms of vibrancy, in terms of different strands being brought together. But in our vibrancy, in our differences, there are a few things that we want to hold to, that we, this is who we are together. And the first one is this, that we're churches of the Spirit. Jesus said here, and Isaiah speaks it out, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. It says that in the very first verse that we read out. And I want churches that are hosting the spirit, receiving the spirit, places where we can encounter the Holy Spirit for today. That the Holy Spirit isn't just some person that we read of in the New Testament but he is active and alive and powerfully encountering people today. I loved your worship this morning. I loved it when one brought a tongue, another brought an interpretation. I loved it when one then brought another prophecy and somebody else prayed out, somebody sang. It was a wonderful expression of the body of Christ. We're not making this stuff up. Jesus is alive and he's poured out his spirit upon us and the spirit is gifting us as a community. And I want to encourage you to press ahead in being a community of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the early church referred to Jesus as the Christ. And when I was a child growing up in Sunday school, I kind of thought that was his last name. I'm Jeremy Simpkins. He's Jesus Christ. That was his family name. But actually, no, it's the name that the Jews gave, or actually God gave, but the Jews particularly associated with their Messiah. He was going to be the chosen one. The Christ really means the anointed one, the one who is full of the anointing of the Spirit of God. It says in Acts 10 verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. That's what marked Jesus out. Jesus was in relative obscurity for 30 years, loving his parents, serving his community, doing a good job as a carpenter, having a great reputation locally, and then suddenly something happens. What happens? He gets baptized in water, full of the Holy Spirit, and suddenly he's propelled onto mission and ministry. It's the empowering presence of the Spirit that stirs us into that. And we're now called Christians. It was a nickname probably wasn't a nice nickname at first for the early church, but it was a nickname for the early church. And what it really means, Christian means little Christ. That's who you are. You're a little Christ. You're a little anointed one. You're not the same as Jesus, 
but you have the same Holy Spirit as Jesus upon you. You're filled and anointed in the same way that Jesus was. Acts 2, very familiar verses to us. Acts 2, 38 to 39. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, interestingly, children, very important in this, and for all who are far off. And I've been a Christian now for uh, 40 years. I became a Christian when I was eight years old. I'm 48 this year. And I am convinced, utterly, just thought I'd tell you that, otherwise people just try and all work out the maths. Um, <coughs> I am convinced that we don't need clever programs in churches to reach a nation. I'm convinced that it's not new techniques. It's not just being culturally aware, although I don't want to be culturally unaware. Uh, I'm convinced it's not just great events that we need to put on, although I want to put on good things, not bad things. Excellence is a good thing. It's a good value to have, to better put things on well, to have great PA, to have great seating, have great lighting, have great atmosphere, have great ambience. But that of itself is not going to reach a nation. What's going to reach a nation is people filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit. And we're to be churches like that, churches that are full of the Holy Spirit. Such a famous verse, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay, and I want to just make an appeal in this. Uh, get on my soapbox, if I may, for one moment, and make an appeal that we don't lose the radical nature of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We can become very trendy places to be. Our sort of churches can be sometimes the best in town. If you look now, many of our churches are the largest in town. Many of our churches have the best music in terms of church life. Many of our churches would have the best, best preaching, uh, perhaps not this morning, but uh, many of our churches would have uh, the best kids' work, would have the best social action, outreach, community involvement. Many of our churches now across the nation would be the place where you rock up into town and you go, that's the church that I want to be. And it's great, isn't it? Great to be part of a movement like that where some of our churches are now breaking through the thousand marks. Some of our churches are really impacting cities and really touching their towns and villages. That's wonderful. But in the end, we must be careful that people don't just join a crowd that we're not charismatic because we raise hands or sing the latest songs or because somebody brought a gift of the Spirit, but all God's people are full of the Spirit and that we preach and teach and experience a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit just as we preach and teach a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus through whom we become Christians. We must make sure that we really do get this. It's the thing that distinguishes us, that we are a people of the Spirit. We're a people of his presence. And although you may better get much better coffee than we serve, you may better get much better music than we play in the city, you may better get much better communication, actually we're a people of the presence. Unless you go to another church, you don't encounter the presence of God by his spirit. It's who we are, very nature. We are a people of the spirit. And I just want to challenge you as I move on to my next point. I just want to challenge you. Have you encountered the spirit personally? Or is it just, well, I go to this kind of church, I kind of pick it up by osmosis. Uh, you don't actually. You don't just pick him up. You need to be filled with him 
in the same way they don't just pick Jesus up by going along. Just going along to a church doesn't make you a Christian. And just going along to a charismatic, life-filled, spirit-filled, crazy church like we are, just going along doesn't, doesn't make you a spirit-filled Christian. You need a personal encounter. Now, every encounter is different. Some encounters are very public, very dramatic, very exciting, very dynamic. Other encounters of the Spirit can be quiet, can be like, I think Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you can, he said, being filled with the Spirit is like being drenched in God. That's what he called it. And he said, you can go out and suddenly the heavens open and it just pours with rain. He obviously lives in Manchester. And uh, he said, you just, got dre- you just get drenched. You can just be drenched. And he said, that, that's one way of being filled with the Spirit. But he said, sometimes in London, where Lloyd-Jones lived, he said, you can just go out in the London fog and you put your big overcoat on and you don't think it's wet, you don't need a brolly, you don't need any kind of... But you just walk, and he said, 20 minutes later, half an hour later, walking through the fog, you arrive at your destination, soaked through to the skin because the fog has just penetrated everywhere and just got in. Listen, it doesn't matter how we get filled with the Spirit. The issue is, are you drenched with the Spirit? You know, we're not saying it has to be a particular manifestation. It has to be a particularly loud or dramatic way, although I'm open to every way of us being filled. The question is, are you filled? Interesting, my friend Dave Logsdale is uh, sitting here in the third row on the bleacher there. Uh, Dave's, uh, Dave lives just outside Nottingham and uh, often comes to our church in Christ Central. And uh, just seeing Dave here this morning uh, r- reminds me of the day when Dave pounded on our front door. Uh, he, lived, he and his wife lived about three or four doors down from us when we lived in Hastings. And I can remember one night, we'd gone to bed already. It was like 10 o'clock at night or something. And uh, he was pounding on the door and uh, I opened the door. I thought, what's wrong? You know, obviously something dreadful's happened, obviously something in the family. I said, what's wrong? He said, I must be filled with the Spirit. I said, yeah, I know, Dave. It's late. We'll do it. And I, no, no, now. He said, I must be filled now. I want the Spirit now. And I can remember uh, bringing Dave. I was in my gym jams. I can remember bringing Dave into our front room. Anne was still in bed. You know, I'm bringing Dave in the front room and uh, laying hands on Dave and immediately the power of the Spirit filling him and coming on him. And now, Dave, can I go to bed now? Is that all right? He goes, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. I'm filled with the Spirit. Listen, we need encounters. We need power encounters with the Spirit. Now, sometimes it will be laying on of hands, empowerment in the moment. Other times I've prayed for people and I go, what do you, what do you sense? And they go, nothing. <laughs> and yet, I've had this many times where people have then gone home, gone to bed, and in the night, God has filled them with power. And they get up in the morning, and they are so different. The question is, are you different? The question is, are you soaked? The question is, have you received power? Not, did you shake, fall, rattle, roll, or roar, or fall over? That's not of itself the issue. Manifestations, we get hooked up on manifestations. Just think I need to unpack this a moment. The Apostle Paul had incredible manifestations. When he was Saul of Tarsus going to persecute the church, he was going to Damascus, as we all know so well. We know the story. He tells it as his conversion experience. He was on the road to Damascus. Suddenly, he falls to the ground, and there's a great light, as Graham was kind of talking earlier about that, falling to the ground with a great light. And the, it, Jesus speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And suddenly, he gets this revelation of Jesus. He's blinded by the light. You know, I've seen the light, brother. He saw it. 
And he was a different man. If you talk about you know, the Toronto blessing, as people talked years ago about that encounter that some people had, yeah, he had the Damascus Road blessing. He was so apparently impacted. What incredible manifestations. Blind, hearing voices, falling to the ground, had to be led. It, it's, they said to Damascus. And yet, it was three days later that a, a disciple called Ananias goes to him, lays hands on him, and Paul gets filled with the Spirit. See, it wasn't the manifestations that were the filling of the Spirit. That was the, just the power of God coming on him and saving him. But actually, his filling of the Spirit was three days later. And sometimes Christians confuse manifestations with the filling. The question is, are you filled? Jonathan Edwards, the revivalist of the 1800s, working into America or out of America, he would say this about the work of the Spirit. He would say, is Jesus more glorified in your life as a result of being filled with the Spirit? Is the work of the enemy more undone in your life? In other words, are you living right? Does Scripture become more alive and precious to you as a result of being filled with the Spirit? Do we love God more and worship him more and want to encounter him more as a result of being filled with the Spirit? And are we loving each other more as a result of being filled with the Spirit? And I want to appeal to us to be a genuine Spirit-filled people, not just looking for a particular manifestation, but being a Spirit-filled people and community. And not just looking back, well, I was filled with the Spirit in 1991 at Stonely or whatever, if it only existed in 91, <laughs> I don't know. Not looking back to a past encounter, but living in the fullness of the filling of the Spirit daily, weekly, continuously, being a Spirit-filled people. So that's my first point. That Jubilee Church Derby is called to be a Spirit-filled church. It's called to be a church that receives the Spirit. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And then this passage goes on. We're not going to look at it word for word, but it talks out, it then says, to preach good news to the poor. This is our mission. This is our mandate, that we should be a church that reaches out beyond our own boundaries, that we don't just say, isn't it great in Jubilee Church? We all get filled with the Spirit. We're all happy clappers. We're all just really enjoying one another and enjoying the Spirit in this little enclosed cinema here. We shut ourselves away. Now, actually, God has called us And actually, it's a sign of being filled with the Spirit that we don't just keep this to ourselves, but we spread it abroad. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, and he's called me to preach good news to the poor. He's called me to declare it out. He's called me to live it out. He's called me to proclaim it out. We're called to be those who live out this Christian life. In fact, I would add another one to Jonathan Edwards' test. And I would ask you this as a test of being filled with the Spirit. Are you reaching out to others more? He says, are you loving God more? Are you loving each other more? Are you loving the Word more? I would say, are you reaching out more? Again, to quote the doctor, and uh, you do know that the doctor isn't Matt Smith. The doctor is uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, respectfully referred to as the doctor. Great Bible teacher of the 1950s and 60s in London, in uh, Westminster Chapel. My parents had the pleasure of being in that congregation and uh, being under his ministry, amazing teacher of the Word of God. He said this, the baptism with the Spirit shows itself primarily... In fact, what would you do 
how would you finish that sentence? The baptism of the Spirit shows itself primarily dot, dot, dot. We might say by speaking in tongues, by healing, by happiness, <laughs> by... He says the baptism of the Spirit shows itself primarily by great evangelistic concern. And I would say if you go, well, yeah, okay, it's nice to... Uh, could go to the mass ball, could invite somebody. Yeah, Alpha's coming, yeah, if you want. I, I would question, are you a spirit-filled person? I'm not, I'm not questioning your integrity. I'm just questioning, are you a spirit-filled person right now? Not what you filled 10 years ago, but now. Because a person now filled goes, I love my neighbor and I want them to know Jesus. A spirit-filled person now burns with passion to reach out to their community and to reach out with the love of God. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What propelled the early church out? Jesus had already told them, go into all the nations, and they were in the upper room. It wasn't till the Spirit came on them, it wasn't till the Holy Spirit empowered them, and they were literally propelled out into the nations and immediately seeing great evangelistic fruit. 3,000 saved at first, another 5,000 later, church growing dramatically in Jerusalem and then later being propelled even to the ends of the earth. I remember as a 16-year-old, I got saved at eight, as I told you earlier, but didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit until I was 16 when I joined one of these crazy churches. And uh, I felt that I had to get baptized in water as a sign of following Jesus. Previous to that, I'd been confirmed in a particular style of church. And uh, I felt actually to follow Jesus, to follow him, I needed to be baptized in water. And I was baptized in water in 1979. And I can remember coming up out of the water and immediately the elders of the church gathering around, laying hands on me and me being filled with the Holy Spirit. I can remember not wanting to leave that building because God was there. It felt a bit like Jacob when he'd slept at night on that stone pillow, had the vision of angels ascending, descending. He said, I hadn't realized God was in this place. And I can remember literally being the last person to leave uh, that, church, that church building where I got baptized because I felt God was here. And then I felt, no, no, he, it's not in, he's not in the place. He's here. God's with me. And I can remember going to school and I had been so embarrassed about my Christian faith. I was, you know, I know this is, sometimes you have to make leaps of faith in life. And this is a leap of faith I'd like to ask you to make now. I was once fit and trendy. Really, you know, I was one of the cool guys. I was one of the senior prefects. I was one of the, you know, I, I used to go, I used to travel 60 miles to London to buy trendy shoes. And, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, I was trendy. It's really hard to believe that now. I, I tell my guys, they just laugh at me. Uh, but, you know, I was cool. I was hip. I was in with the right crowd. We were listening to the right music. I was, I was, and I kept my Christianity very quiet. It was something very private, and I didn't really want people to know. My friend Kevin, uh, his dad drove racing cars, and we would go to his house and see all this amazing stuff. He had a swimming pool. Kevin, if he ever came to my house, we'd have to go to church. That was the defining moment. And uh, I, I kind of kept it quiet until the Sunday, we have to go to church. It was so embarrassing. It was so like, oh. And I, I was so... I can remember the moment I was filled with the Spirit, sharing Jesus with my classmates, unashamed. And 
seeing many of them come to Christ and seeing our Christian Union go from a handful, four or five, to about 45 people in the Christian Union over a period of months and weeks because God was at work. What was the difference? What had changed in my life? Baptism of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, empowered into t- telling others about Jesus, reaching out to everyone. It's ever so important we understand that the empowerment of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he's called us to preach good news to the poor. Interesting, it's the poor, the downtrodden, the have-nots, the ones who haven't got it all together. I don't think that necessarily means poor financially, although I think it does mean poor financially. I don't think it limits it to poor financially. I think it's those who are poor in spirit, as Jesus talks about in Luke later. I think it's those who are poor in relationships. I think it's those who are poor in emotions. I think it's those who are poor in friendships. I think our society is poor. Now, actually, it's getting physically poorer as well. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me that the gospel spreads well in that environment. I rejoice, actually, of of the state of the nation. Not that I want things to get bad, but I just know that against a black sky, a bright light shines brighter. And when Elijah prayed, he prayed that it would not rain. And... uh, you imagine, what does that mean? I mean, that's a good, you might think that's a good prayer to pray, you know, especially if you come from Manchester, you think it's a great prayer to pray. It would be like Elijah praying, oh, sorry, it would be like Elijah praying, please God, cause all the financial institutions to go into meltdown. Because then we'll have to really rely on you. Isn't it interesting what's happened over the last few years as all the financial institutions go into meltdown? What does that say to me? What an opportunity for a gospel that speaks to the poor. What an opportunity for a gospel that brings hope to the hopeless. What an opportunity for a gospel that brings healing to the sick. What an opportunity we've got in our day, in this day of recession, to bring the power and the life and the hope and the presence of Jesus in the gospel. I want to see churches like this that are reaching out to others. Number one, churches that receive the Spirit. Number two, churches that reach out to others. And lastly, churches that are restoring relationships. I love this bit at the end of this passage. We haven't got time to unpack this whole passage this morning because we want to give some room for ministry. But it says in the last bit here of this passage... They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins that have been and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And I believe that God is calling us back to restoration. He's calling us back to see things restored, to see things brought together. It's said about the great end times when Jesus comes back. He will restore all things. He'll bring all things back together. That word literally means to reunite or to resonate again together. And it's a sense that the world's got out of tune. The world's got a a wrong harmony. The world's in disharmony, disunity, and one day all things will be reharmonized. 
When I was growing up, there used to be this old Coke advert. You know, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And one day, that's our, that's our calling. We're called to reharmonize the world. We're called to line it up again with our King Jesus. Well, how does that start? It starts, firstly, in our personal restoration to Christ. It talks here in this passage about oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You need to know that in a day when winds are blowing of financial uncertainty, in a day of despair and hopelessness, that you are not blown about by every wind of doctrine. You're not blown about by every circumstance of job. As I think Kevin was saying there about the financial instability, and as we can, we might not see it all. He said we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't see it all, but we can be certain God's in control. And we're a people who know our security. We're a people who know that we're rooted into Christ. We're not rooted into good ideas. We're not rooted into self-help. We're not rooted into just good counselling. We could just survive life. We're rooted into Christ. That's who we are. We're a Christ people. We're Christians. We're people who are in Christ. And there are many apostolic foundations in the New Testament. There are many things in the New Testament that we need to get hold of if we're a New Testament church built on apostolic values. And I would say the most important thing for us to get hold of Paul says it 134 times in his letters alone, is this, that you know that when all said and done, you are in Christ. That that is now your new identity. It's a corporate identity because we're a people who are in Christ with the body of Christ. But you need to know that. That's who you are. I'm not in Jubilee Church. I'm not in the Pyman's household or sphere or you know it's not just because it's Graham or John it's not just no actually I'm in Christ I'm rooted personally organically in a living way right into Jesus Christ Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3:10. I laid a foundation as an expert builder no one can lay any other foundation other than the one already laid which is Christ Jesus. He is the foundation of this church. He is the foundation for Christian living. And we are rooted into him personally. You need to know that this morning. And I think there are some people here who just need the light switched on. You just need revelation. You just need truth. It's not like you need an in Christ experience. You just need to know the truth. I went to, I travel a lot and uh, I have this annoying pink passport now. I remember the days of the black passport. Shows my age. Now it's a pink one. But you have to queue up. And uh, I don't queue up thinking, because they tell you to queue up in certain lines, don't they? If you, any of you travel internationally, you know, are you foreign passport holders or nationals or whatever? Depending. I don't have to think now, I'm British, come on. Let's really believe I'm British, come on. Let, come on, let's pray. I'm British, I'm British, I'm British. If I, if I, if I say it enough, it'll be true. If I, if I really, let's really, could you pray for me that I'd feel a, a, an in-Britishness experience? Could you, you know, because I, I, you know, right now I'm feeling a little French. And uh, I, I, I want to really know that I'm British. No, the truth is I'm born British. I can't help it. Sometimes I wish I wasn't, but I am. That's who I, it's in my very nature, it's in my genetic DNA. My parents are British, I'm British. I'm very sorry about it, but that's who I am. Listen, I've been born again in Christ. I've had a new birth, 
and I am born again in him. I'm in Christ today. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter whether I feel like I'm in Christ or not. It doesn't matter whether I feel I'm a good boy or a bad boy. I'm in Christ. That's who I am. My new spiritual genetic code just says that's who I am. And do you know what the truth is this? I can be a miserable person in Christ or a happy one. But what I can't do is take myself out of Christ any more than I can change my Britishness and pretend that I'm another nationality when I'm not. I am in Christ today, and you are too. And we must get this rooted in our understanding and rooted in how we work it out. Okay, let me back, back the car out and come in again. Do you think this morning that Jesus Christ is loved by the Father? It's not rhetorical. I need an answer. It's not a trick question. Is Jesus, he's forever loved as the Son of the Father. He's the darling of heaven. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's loved, right? Now the Bible says you're in Christ. That which is true of Jesus is now true of you. You are in Christ. You're in him. And therefore, if I ask you this question, are you as loved as Jesus this morning? Some of us would go, oh, I'm not so sure. That doesn't sound, does that sound a bit theologically dodgy? As loved as Jesus? I'm like, I know I'm tolerated. <laughs> I know he's kind of let me in out of the goodnesses of his heart. And, uh, but actually this morning, I am loved as much as Jesus. You are loved as much as Jesus because you're in Christ. Another one. Is Jesus at peace this morning? Of course he is. He's the Prince of Peace. Listen, you are, if I asked you, are you at peace this morning? You were, no, I'm worried about the gas bill. I'm worried about the... I didn't ask you if you're worried about anything. Are you at peace? The truth is this. We can have a storm going on around us, but the truth is we are in Christ at peace. There is no longer a war between us. We're at peace. I could ask you, are you secure? Is he secure? Yes, he's, he reigns forever as a son over the house. Are you secure? Will I feel secure when I'm in the church, but when I'm in that nasty world, or when I'm, no, listen, I'm secure Jesus said, no one can pluck you out of my hand. Do you know why? Because <coughs> you are his hand. You're the very body of Christ. You're in Christ. And just as I can't pull my own fingers off, you can't be pulled out of Christ. You're in him. Lastly, is he righteous today? Of course he is. He reigns as the king of righteousness. You're in Christ. You are righteous as Jesus today. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what you watched on telly last night. It's not about what you thought of this week. It's about I am in Christ. Now, we need to know that. Now, that's then worked out in community. We're restored to Christ. We're then restored to community. This isn't an individual thing. It's not just, oh, me and Christ personally. This is about us corporately together. Wayne Grudem says this in his commentary. Sanctification, that's the process by which we're made to be like Jesus, worked it out in our life. Sanctification, he says, is a corporate process in the New Testament. It's something that happens in community. And God has called us to be an in-Christ community. He's called us to restore communities. This whole passage ends with this call to restore the city, to restore communities. We're not a collection of individuals. God is forming us into a body together in Derby to make a body impact, to make a massive 
demonstration, a declaration that Jesus is alive. And we do that much more together than we can individually. It's a corporate nature of who we are together in Christ. It means that the weak are put in families. It means the lonely are restored. It means that we find each other, that we learn to rely on each other, that we become truly the body of Christ, learning from each other, getting values, getting insights, getting strength and prophetic things from one another, being together in Christ, in community. And God is bringing this restoration. He's restoring the church. It's a picture in this setting of walls being built and you finding your place as a brick in the wall. Not like Pink Floyd once said, I'm just another brick in the wall, but actually finding value that I fit into this place, that brothers and sisters are going to come alongside me, give me stability, that together we're going to see the kingdom come together in Derby. God is restoring the church. He's building life upon life together. And lastly, we're restored to, I believe, apostolic vision. You think, how do you get apostolic vision out of this passage? Well, I'll tell you why, because it talks about cities. It talks about communities, plural, of the Spirit. So my last point is that we are called to restore relationships. One, with Jesus. Two, with one another. Three, that we're called to form new cities, new communities. So as we look across the Midlands, and we see city after city. We go across the peaks of Derbyshire and we see town after town without an expression of grace-filled life. As we look across and we see the cities surrounding Derby, as we see right across and we go, God has called us to plant and resource churches right the way across the UK and I believe to the nations. Are you caught up with that? Do you feel God's giving you faith for that? God's stirring you? Or is it like, if we could just build this a little better and happier, that would succeed. No, success is that we build a great city on a hill and then we plant another one and another one and another one and another one. And Jesus said and others have said, it's a, it's a thing that comes through the Old Testament time and time again. Truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. How's that going to happen? How is all the earth going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord through every community having a spirit-filled church being birthed in it. That we don't say we've done Derby because we've done one church. No, we see dozens of churches planted around the city. We don't say we've done the Midlands because we've seen 20, 30, 40 churches birthed. No, we see hundreds, even thousands of churches birthed across this area. That's what God's calling us to. It's a great initiative. I'm so thrilled in the north team that we're working in, that we've got 15 church plants on the go, and another eight are being conceived right now. They're in the conception process. In other words, people are dreaming of them. They're cities and towns. People are dreaming of them. I put them on the map. You go, how many have we got there? Three. <laughs> but we're dreaming that that one day is going to be a city on a hill. One day that's going to be a vibrant church. Are you caught up with that? Is that what God's stirring in you? This is who you are, Jubilee. You're a spirit-filled community. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. He's called you to reach out to others. He's called you to extend your borders in terms of evangelism and seeing people saved and added. But he's also called you to be a church planting church, to be a church that reaches out and lights fires. I loved what John brought about others bringing their twigs and sticks. I think it was John who brought that. Uh, was it you? 
somebody brought that, I think it was John, brought their twigs and their sticks and coming, getting their twig alive, getting their twig alive. That was a, a, a vision that happened in New Frontiers right in the beginning when somebody saw a bonfire of sticks and people took a stick from the bonfire and went and planted another church and the fire came again. Then we took another stick from the bonfire and made another fire again. God is calling you to be a church planting church. A church that reaches out beyond your borders and has influence. And you think, right now, we can't even cope with ourselves. Well, that's okay. It's good to have big vision. It's also good to have big vision so big that it has to be God who fulfills it and not just you. And God is giving you massive vision for this area and to release people to church plant. There are church planters here. There are people here who will go you go, oh, we want people to come. <laughs> Listen, my experience is this. As you send, more come. Because it's a spiritual principle. Give and you'll be less. No, give and it shall be given unto you. See, the natural man says, give and I'll, if I've got two, I give one away. I'll, I'll have one. Jesus says, no, you give your one, you have three back. <laughs> you give and it'll be given back to you. God has called you to this. to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.